Welcome back to Still Unbelievable. I am your host, David Johnson, joined by another host. Hello, this is Andrew Knight. Uh, Welcome back to Still Unbelievable. And we're joined by yet another host. Yep, this is Sarah, ready to punch the patriarchy and bust some balls. There you go, since we're talking about gender. <laughs> it's starting oh, early. Oh, hell yeah. It's starting early. <laughs> Yeehaw! <laughs> <Okay>. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Um, it's a good start, hey? It's a good start. I already Solid. need a sandwich. Um, so today we're going to be discussing the uh, just-released Unbelievable episode uh, from Justin Brierley. Uh If we ever put up a website, you'll find the link in our show notes. Uh, this will probably, most of you will be hearing this because I will drop it in the uh, Skeptics and Seekers feed just uh, so that most of you will see it. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, attention behind it. I'm still working on getting this its own iTunes presence, so please be patient with that. And when we get that, uh, then we will have an official launch of this show. The uh, unbelievable episode that we're working off of is Unbelievable, Me Too, and The Church. Egalitarianism versus Complementarian. Natalie Collins and Phil Moore. And with that, let's dive in, guys. Okay, both notions are stupid. <laughs> And the end. Mm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, okay, you let me dive in. I, I refer I, to my notes. Uh, I, I think that, that there's, there's more. There's, yeah, there's more we can squeeze out of this, surely. Well, I mean, but uh, actually, it, it does bring up a good point, which I don't think anyone took some time uh, took the time to prep. Which is, what is okay. egalitarianism and what is complementarianism? What what is that? Uh, according to the show that we've listened to, all probably two or three times. They they pretty much sounded the same thing in the end, didn't they? They were sort of saying, well, 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 we're equal, but we're kind of different. So, you know, big news flash. So I, I'll, what I'll, I drew, yeah, what I drew from this was uh, Phil is suggesting through complementarianism that men and women are different but equal under the under his notion of Scripture, whereas Natalie... Um, sees scripture as a preservation of the same rights for men and women. One of the places this was most prevalent in Phil's thoughts was the role of, uh, was the role of leadership in the church. So in his complementarian view, uh, women were accepted as leaders in the church, but not the top leadership spots. So those were reserved specifically for elders and, and women were not allowed. And also in Phil's view, from the complementarian perspective, he seemed to believe that the biological differences between men and women were of such a nature that women were naturally restricted from certain things, that women simply didn't have the right uh, personality or uh, mental makeup or spiritual framework. I'm not sure what he was basing it on, but Phil definitely saw uh, restrictions on women, and, and I think, to be fair, he'd say certain restrictions on men as well, and that was the view of complementarianism, that men and women complement each other through being <clears throat> through being different somehow, though I think his definition of how was pretty poor, 
And Natalie, on the other hand, uh, saw the expression of human uh, of human traits to be as broad as there are individuals. In fact, I think mm-hmm. she said so. Yeah. And so her view of, uh, in her egalitarian view, men and women could, uh, could swap roles however they saw fit. And she read the Bible as being a book that allowed for egalitarianism. As a prior evangelical fundamentalist, I think she was dead wrong about how she read the Bible. And I think Phil was, uh, I think Phil was right about his reading, but both views are quackery. Okay. And that was the egalitarian versus complementarian uh, expression as I saw it in the show. Let me, let me give, uh, take a crack at it. Uh, complementarianism uh, <clears throat> is the view that uh, all people, male and female, are equal in value but different in roles. And mm-hmm. egalitarianism is equal all the way down. Uh, yeah, I think that I think that's right. I think that's what Natalie said when she was talking about uh, her child, asking her about what does it mean to be, what does it mean to be a male? And she said, you know, not worry about what it means to be a male. You need to worry about what it means to be you. Uh, whereas I think Phil would have had a different response, though he didn't say so if he has any children. I actually, I, I enjoyed that. I like that answer, by the way. I know that mm. it, it seemed like a, a bumper sticker, but it, it helped shake me out of some of my own uh, thinking uh, of this. Yeah, it's it's irrelevant what it means to be a male or a female, and it's it's relevant to be you, to know what it means to be you in this world, whoever you are. So, uh, yeah, don't don't try to put on some artificial role that society dresses you up with. Uh, discover who you are. I think that's. I think that that is good advice. Now, I, I do want to say. Uh, I want to join Andrew in saying that uh, Natalie was also wrong. And when I when I get to my uh, bit that I want to talk about, um, I, I'll I'll just uh, forecast up front what I'm what I want to talk about is the fact that it is wrong. On, based on the fact that they were both drawing their views from the Bible. And yes, Natalie was drawing some bogus views on the, from the Bible, but the fact is she was still trying to use the Bible to draw her views. And so it's it's still a bad job at the end of the day. Uh, so even though Natalie said a lot of things that uh, I like, uh, there, there were a few occasions where she got herself twisted up in knots, because she's still using the Bible as a as a guide, and it's a terrible guide on this subject. It struck me as, oh, go ahead, Sarah. I'm sorry. I was going to say she was definitely the more progressive of the two. Um, she certainly could see that there were individuals that you know it, um, uh, you had to take the kind of wider the wider picture. But uh, whereas Phil seemed to be trying to constantly spiritualise the problem, it was always to do with. Uh, not being pure enough or not being I, I, I just got the impression he was constantly looking at a way to spiritualize it the flesh being weak and us having uh, inherent problems as being in being human so uh, she seemed to be a lot more open to the the idea that you know we are just human and, and things go go a little bit wrong so the only thing I thought she came out with which almost made me 
vomit on the spot was that she had the she quite like the hideous idea that dying as a martyr was her goal so that's what i i was going to talk about that uh, stop that it was just All too right, bad ahead. yeah that was just i mean i just uh, you, your jaw just drops when she says yes. something like that you're like uh Clean this, this is i, I, I did a throat jihad and <clears throat> You know, no, this shouldn't be your goal. I mean, okay, I understand there was some sort of noble um, uh, kind of, uh, I don't know, just uh, it was looked upon as a good thing if you, not a good thing, but certainly as a noble thing if you died as a martyr, but uh, to have it as a goal, maybe it was just the way she she didn't quite mean it that way. No, she did mean it that way. She she wants to die for Jesus just like a man can die for Jesus. That's (laughs) She wants to die of persecution just as a man dies of persecution. So she, no, it is, it is bat shift crazy. Mm -hmm. Sure. You spoke, you said a, a second ago that Phil was uh, regularly trying to spiritualize the problem. And the, the first time that I shook my phone in outrage and actually had to talk back to the phone while I was listening to the podcast was when Phil said, we have to stop looking at the Bible as the, as the problem and start looking at it as the solution in regard to how we should live our gender-oriented lives. I I was shaking the phone in outrage and saying, no, we don't. We've been looking at gender roles through the Bible in Western culture for 2,000 years, and we've failed for 2,000 years. That's why you're having the show, and sadly for Natalie, when she talked about her story, which I accept was incredibly um, traumatic and, you know, formed, formed a lot of the problems in her adult life, you know, according to her, she had this, uh, she had these, these bad experiences when she was, uh, you know, when she was growing up 16 or 17, however old she was, she had these bad sexual experiences and, and somehow, and these, these occurred in a, in a religious context, apparently, and somehow she hung on to the religion that allowed it. That was that was striking. The fact that she she didn't see the irony that she actually had followed what was supposed to be done. She did the whole. Um, I mean, I wrote a couple of uh, Natalie's story. Let me have a look. Where so, yes, she um, yeah. It was, I mean, it's obviously a very tragic story. But she did the Christian thing. You know, she felt wrong that she'd been involved with this guy, so she married him too young, which happens to a lot of Christians because they, as I say, they want to get the uh, the can do band on their finger, so you know, get the uh, license for. Or, uh, uh, the sex license basically is what they want right. to get. So, um, and they're feeling uh, they're in cycles of shame and failing and all that kind of thing. So, you know, getting married young is quite an evangelical thing and uh, it can go horribly wrong. And then she was in a, an abusive relationship with her husband, but she tried to win him over with the purity kind of idea by just constantly um, forgiving him, which was so she did it by the book and she doesn't see that it doesn't, the solution doesn't work. But at the end, she frames it all as, well, God was there in the end. Um, you know, he's love and he loves women and all that sort of thing. And it wasn't, it's me that was the problem. It's always the, the, our interpretation that's been wrong. It's always us that has to get the blame. It's like, no, you were given really crummy in, information and you ran with it. You did the best you could. And yeah, it, it ended right. you up in hospital with a premature baby. I mean, what sort of 
it's just it's it's so I, I, she she couldn't see the irony in it and i just i thought that was quite sad that she i mean i would blame god i would blame god that's what she she'd been faithful she'd done the thing she tried as best she could uh and it hadn't paid off at all um so yeah the, the solutions the solutions don't work basically is, me, is what it comes down to let me jump in um with my uh, with my set piece here i uh, so the listeners you don't know but my co-hosts know i'm actually rather sick i've got uh, fever chills and pain i've got the full works i really want to die uh it's it's that kind of thing <laughs> so this could be a martyr death right here a, live on the show i'm gonna die just for you listener so that, just don't leave that kind of opening for me in the future i'm going <laughs> easy on you <laughs> but, but the thing is i may not be able to hang in for the entire show, so I am going to I'm going to blurb uh, some things out quickly. So if you if you'll give me a couple of minutes, I'll um, I'm just going to run through some some thoughts that I wrote down, and hopefully uh, will be picked up and expanded on. Um, so I uh, started off by saying I think the the big problem with both sides is that they are using the Bible as a guide on how to sort out uh, what it means to uh, be a male or female or whatever gender you happen to be in the modern era. And it is not as much that the Bible gives bad advice. It's that the Bible is a bad source to begin with, and you should never use it for that. So um, a few points. One is that uh, all of the advice, just about all of the advice that we have that comes from Jesus and Paul on the subject of the role of women— uh, is based on a literal reading of the Genesis story in Adam and Eve. Both Jesus and Paul had a literal view of Adam and Eve, and they they name-check Adam and Eve, and Paul does it a, a few times, and Paul specifically mentions it. It's, it's because the woman sinned and so forth. So it, right away, if you're one of those Christians who does not believe in the literal reading of Genesis, uh, the first three chapters— you should disregard everything that Jesus and Paul have to say on this subject, even if you listen to them on other things. You should disregard them on this one because their understanding of what a male and female is and what they were uh, for and how we got this way is based on nonsense. Uh, and so that's that's the first point uh, that I would like to make. You can't you can't end up in a with a good solution with that as your foundation. Um, leadership is another uh, point that stood out to me uh, in this. Uh, they can talk about equality all they want. There is no equality unless uh, there is equal opportunity uh, to do all of the jobs from bottom to top with both genders, period. And if there is if there is a place in there where a woman can't do strictly because she's a woman, then then there is no equality. Uh, in this case, uh, Phil uh, said elders. You know, it's the elder's job to to be the the um, whatever the, the the force is that keeps the river in check, and then everyone else's job to be the river. The banks of yeah, the, the river. The banks of the, the elders banks of the, banks of the river. river. And so what he did not express is why it is that a woman could not uh, be a part of the banks of a river. Uh, so this is this is the thing. So if if you view women as not fit to lead, 
you have a problem and you cannot use words like equality. It just, it's meaningless at that mm-hmm. point. Um, the Bible is condescending. I'll just sweep through uh, these very quickly. Uh, women are given away in marriage by men mm-hmm. to men. Uh, yep. uh, notice that women don't give <laughs> their daughters away. Men, it's because they're the property of the man. It, this is an old tradition based on an old idea. The woman is always the property of the man. The, the man who owns her currently is going to give her away to a new owner. But she is never the independent uh, force unless her husband dies. Uh, and then, then there's some rules around that. Uh, women are automatically assumed to be the weaker vessel. I, uh, I just hope to get Sarah wound up and just let her run for a few <laughs> minutes on that. Um, husbands are... Um, before, you, before you run away from that, uh-huh. I want to just point the listeners to, uh, they can search CNN for this, the first female uh, troops are being trained uh, in the U.S. Marine Corps, uh, arguably one of our best fighting forces in the United States. We are now training the, the first platoon of 50 female Marines on Paris Island. They will be trained side by side with their male counterparts. That's happening right now. Last year, the first female to go through um, uh, RIP, that's Ranger Indoctrination Program, become an Airborne Ranger. She finished the course. We have a female Ranger fighting beside male Rangers. And if you still think that women are the weaker vessel, it's... It's a. It is a ridiculous notion. Well, and let's let's be clear. Asian culture uh, has kind of put the kibosh on this a long time ago. Women women have been fighting uh, with swords and samurais for a long time. Sure. Um, and um, so, but then again, they're not a Christian culture. <laughs> just just wanted to point out that we have women in our most elite fighting forces that are fighting beside men. And regardless of how I might feel about women in, in combat, they can do the job and they are doing the job. And to dismiss that is to ignore the very point that disconfirms the idea that women are weaker vessels. Sure. I mean, it depends how you define weaker. I don't I don't think there's necessarily a problem with um, identifying that there are different biological differences uh in terms of women not having as much testosterone so less muscle mass and all that kind of thing that sort of thing doesn't even bother or or kind of um feature on the scale for me i'm I'm perfectly happy that they have maybe different hormonal biological kind of drivers that are different from men again that's not an issue that maybe they have a higher sense of survival they're not necessarily as um, combative in nature or I mean Jordan Peterson has a, a bit to say about it doesn't he? he says a lot of men are more likely to be obnoxious and kind of bolshing and therefore that's what gets them to the top not necessarily being male but being more bolshy so um, though that 
is associated with being male. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, he, I, I have no, I have honestly, I have no issue with there being some differences. And, and, uh, uh, I think the, the problem occurs when you're talking about science or, um, being able to fly a plane or, you know, other jobs that women can, can do. But the, I'll be honest, if I was an employer and I had to employ women and, uh, or men, um, I would be tempted to employ, employ men because of the, the fact that women are more likely to take time off and, and go, which I know is super controversial, but the reality is if you're running a small business, um, and a woman has to take, a woman has to take one or two years off for childcare and things, there is, there is a difference. I don't, I have no issue actually recognizing that. Um, I'm, I'm glad there are some things in law that protect them and they can come back to work and all that sort of thing. But, um, you know, I, I, I don't fight for this totally equal, um, we're exactly the same type view. I, uh, I'm happy to, uh, I'm happy to accept some differences and, but then it's never it's never really impacted me so i you know i've always done what i've wanted to do i've always been um happy to play with lads when i was younger and gangs and climbing trees and um spy games and all you know it was all that kind of thing so and i didn't want an engagement ring i had a windsurfer instead i don't really identify with the the women kind of view of childcare and things i chose to be child free it's a you know an active choice that um so i've, I've never quite identified with a whole woman-y kind of repressed type of thing but that's just me because i'm very lucky to be in an environment where you're more likely to be evaluated on how many summits you've climbed than whether you're male or female and um the the, the lads i associate with are completely um you know not misogynistic at all and uh, everyone's kind of it is a bubble i live in so i appreciate a lot of people fit, uh, encounter some um some real kind of prejudice so uh but for me personally it's not a massive issue so I think you're not actually going to be able to wind me up that much about it because <laughs> it's not but, it's not something I feel very strongly about for me personally I do I sure do, uh, uh, but in our fighting forces it's it we're not necessarily trying to craft the very strongest person we can possibly craft because strength is only one part of that equation we are mm-hmm. trying to craft intelligent leaders who make good decisions in morally ambiguous environments. I use that phrase because it just came out of the, uh, just came out of the Pentagon. Uh, there's a U.S. Navy SEAL who's being charged with, uh, with murder of a, of a combatant that was under his care. And, and so it is not just about strength, though certainly it is about being able to take care of yourself, to be able to carry your pack and your weapons and wh- whatever, you know, whatever you have to do. Strength, strength is but the if smallest a woman, part of it, honestly, because they can they, Right. So, yeah. yeah. I've got a brother that's an airborne ranger, and he's happy to tell you that there were plenty of rangers stronger than he was. Okay. So it's not necessarily about being strong. It is about being prepared to operate mm-hmm. in morally ambiguous environments. And while there are certainly minimum standards, I would think I'm not a ranger or a SEAL or Marine Force Recon or any of the you know any of our other special fighting services, but it is about being able to meet the minimum preparatory standards in each of those categories, whatever they are. And I, right? I, would, I would like to just reiterate, Jap- Japanese women have been beating bigger, stronger, uh, heavier uh, men for a long time. Yeah. So, <laughs> sorry, I'm not, not going back on what you were saying, Sarah, just defending mm-hmm. the right for women to pursue the roles 
oh, that sure, yeah, they yeah. want to pursue. Well, so, mm, and, yeah, absolutely. Which, but that's what I'm saying. I'm, I've, it's never stopped me. I always did things like physics, where there was only lads and no girls, and um, so mm, it, personally, mm. I've not experienced this kind of um, being being kept down because I'm a woman. So, but I right. do appreciate a lot of people do. Let me uh, let, and, let me climb down this list a little bit more. But I I, I do want to just round that off by saying I don't think the Bible actually was talking about physical strength or weakness. I think it was, it was speaking more mm-hmm. generically that women were weaker in general. Um, yeah. And that's, yeah. that's the, that's the problem. It's not that, you know, your wife may not be, uh, be able to beat you in arm wrestling. That, that mm-hmm. wasn't the issue. So, um, and I think this, this next one uh, bears that out. So uh, the Ephesians, uh, passage that says, "Husbands, uh, love your wives, even as Christ uh, loved the church." That's that's actually not a good passage for women at all. It's an awful passage for women because what it does is it says that um, you're incapable of doing things for yourself, which is exactly how the church is in relation to God. You must ask, you know permission to do things, and if the Lord will, I can do this and that. It suggests that you need uh, constant supervision and protection and, you know, maybe self-sacrifice because you are so helpless and kind of stupid. Um, you, you know, at no point does it ever say, you know, women love your husbands as Christ loved the church because there is a very specific role and a very specific idea that the writer uh, of these things, I won't say Paul, had uh, with regard to men and women. And so I, um, I put that under a category of the Bible being very condescending uh, toward women uh, in that way. I know that uh, you guys want to jump in. Give me 30 more seconds. Uh, gender uh, is not a binary uh, thing. The Bible offers gender as a binary thing. And I hear preachers today saying, God made them male and female, and that's it. And if you think that you're something else... Then you know you're calling God a liar. Well, okay, I'm calling God a liar. Um, purity. Uh, I'll just say that word and move on. And then childbearing. Childbearing is uh, this idea that women uh, are given this great blessing of childbearing that men don't have, and that this is some dispensation that that women are given, even that is somewhat salvific. And so we have to kind of parse what uh, the writer of 1 Timothy 2 meant when he was telling women that you know, you've got to be submissive at home because, you know, Eve was stupid, but, you know, you'll be saved through childbearing. Um, this, is, this is the Bible on women. And so f- for these and many other reasons I don't have time uh, to even introduce, the Bible is absolutely the wrong book to bring to a conversation uh, on gender roles in 2019. Okay. <laughs> um, I'd, I mean, I'd pick up on the binary thing just from the uh, episode of Unbelievable. There was one point where Phil started saying that Jesus was a great male uh, role model, and then a bit later he said he was kind of like a great female uh, male model. model. Um, but, uh, which was just seemed to be like they were scraping around for kind of views on it. Cause it was like, well, what is Jesus non-binary now? Or is that, I mean, that's clearly, that would just be so offensive to them. I don't, so it just, um, I don't know in what way he's a great female male rod model. Well, you, um, you see, he cried. He, he, Jesus wept. 
he was, he yeah, was but that's very what emotional. men men can do. That's fine. It's not uh, it's not a problem. Um, I, do, I I find all this this gender roles and things quite. I never really paid much attention to it. To be fair, I never, as I say, it never really affected me. I know I got some some messages through, particularly about the purity culture, which we can talk about. But um, generally speaking, I, I didn't really take too much notion. But I just thought it was interesting that Phil sort of said said that and said uh, he's he's a great uh, male uh, role model and a great female uh, role model and didn't seem to see the irony about it being maybe binary therefore and a spectrum then they were happy to talk about spectrum but not not when it comes to transgender people or anything like that but in the case of Jesus it was fine I just thought it was quite amusing what I thought was that was amusing what I thought was strange was you you're saying that there's this Jesus character and as as a skeptic I'm you know I obviously don't accept there's any deity in this story so you've got this guy who you are claiming expresses the full range of male and female characteristics, right? And it seems to me that that is the the point that works most strongly against Phil's idea that there is a difference between men and Mm -hmm. women in regard to the roles that we can exercise. Because even if you accept the story of Jesus as him being all man and all God— right? He's, he's, he's 100% of both of these, then what you're saying is it is possible to be human and to, ex- and to express the full range of humanity, regardless of whether you're a man or a woman. Mm. So then to go behind that with the complementarian view is ridiculous. <laughs> well, you just make it say what you, what you need it to say, don't you, at the end of the day? Yeah, it's just... like if you need to, you know, it's no men, no female, and so all the LGBT uh, LGBT. TQI people are sort of saying, oh, there's no male or female in, in heaven, but suddenly there is. It's, and so, um, yeah, it, you just make it say what, whatever you need it to say at the time. Right. So, um, yeah. Yeah. so, yeah, they, did, they, they, they both, yeah, and they, and they did. They, you know, he says it expresses the complementarian view. She says it expresses the egalitarian view. And, and, and off they went without, without realizing that they were both right. And it's why they were also both wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be any issue with the fact they can both... Uh, there was some classic, you know, if Scripture is clear on X, you know, that, that perfect sentence, right, that's the thing right. that triggers me the most. But <laughs> Scripture is anything but clear on anything, pretty much. You'll always find somebody to contradict you. So, um, But, you know, he was he was very much into one-upmanship, old Phil, with his uh, regards to the theology. You know, scripture clearly says it's X, but you can find another verse that says something else. So, um, uh, yeah. So I, Justin... Can't. But nobody seems Sorry, to want to, uh, want to admit that both could be wrong or one could be right and somebody else could definitely be wrong at that point. Somebody's wrong. Somebody's wrong out of the two of them, um, right. if it's, if any of it's true. So <laughs> I just nobody seems to let that bother them. So uh, it's quite, quite amusing. So we were all former Christians. Um, and, yeah. uh, you know, we've had various experiences in the church. I've uh, had... You know, church leadership experience. Uh, Andrew's had uh, seminary experience. Um, Sarah has had a hell of ex- <laughs> an experience. Um, and well, um, that's very ominous. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, well, I am, played, though. I thought that was great. I am. I'm curious, uh, based on our uh, different pasts, what do you think the Christian justification is? for 
um, restricting women in leadership roles? I mean, how do how do they sort that out in their minds without being misogynistic? I mean, I think I attended a church where women did did preach a little bit. I, I, I can't remember. I mean, this is the UK in the 80s, so it may well have changed. I think it has. I think most uh, most women do now uh, can can talk uh, can talk at the front of the church. Um, I do remember as a nine-year-old deciding that I should cover my head and wear a little scarf to church with a nice head covering. Um, obviously, that was uh, God that had led me rather than just the uh, water I was swimming in where lots of women turned up with headscarves. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but you do get the overall message that there's there's something not quite – you are second in, in line. Men are – above you you are weaker you are subservient you the, the fathers give the daughters away all that sort of thing does subtly subtly play but you can't um, without you don't really necessarily critically and analyze it at that stage you, you just accept it as a status quo and there are differences and you're second in command and that and that's it so um there is there are some messages that come come through but uh I, again i never really let let them bother me too much um, I was lucky like that, but I think I think whatever we, whatever toxic rubbish we imbibe in the UK, it's probably ramped up a notch in the in the US. Um, I mean, things like that, you can only wear dresses to church and things like that. I mean, that's not even on our radar in the UK particularly. Uh, but I get the impression you're much more, much more hot on those sort of things. If that's the case between the two, two nations, and also talking about it 20 years ago, I don't know what it's like today. But Andrew. I don't know exactly what the difference is putting it into words, but I can give a great example of it from this week's show. There was a moment where uh, Phil and Natalie were swapping views. Natalie had made some statement. I, I can't quote her at the moment. We could scan through and find it. But uh, Natalie expresses some view uh, about Scripture, and Justin comes behind it and actually says to Phil, so Phil... What sensibly? What does it say? I missed that. Okay. Oh, I will. I will find the timestamp and send it to you because it was one of those moments. And it, it you, the reason you missed it is it slipped by slow, so unobtrusively. It's the it's the sort of thing that we see all the time in conference rooms and boardrooms and uh, and meetings and et cetera. And I've spent my fair share of hours in all of those. And it was that thing where Justin was willing to diminish what she had to offer by asking Phil to fill in the sensible gaps. And you should have heard a face slap at the end mm -hmm. of it, but Natalie was, was too nice to call him on it. Or Phil, uh, you know, I, I, there were several times that I thought, you know, she she handled herself impeccably, and I, I you know I had so, I sort of wish that she had called Phil out in a different way. You see this in debates between between guys as well. Um, the Sam Harris Jordan Peterson debate. There were several times when when Sam should have just clobbered Jordan Peterson and, and chose not to. Um, but whatever whatever. We, however we choose to express what men think this difference is, uh, 
There's a perfect example of it on this show. So I'm I'm reminded of the example that uh, Phil gave uh, back in Adam and Eve once again, uh, suggesting that Phil is an Adam and Eve literalist and probably a yuck. He should probably, you know, once again be disqualified from uh, reasonable discourse just on that basis. But he was uh, suggesting that uh, things got out of whack the moment that um, Adam took the role of the woman and the woman took the role of the man. And as if there were set roles that, that are determined almost by biology. Um, Did he say that or more that they weren't acting according to what God wanted? I don't know no, if it was specific. No, okay, yeah, it was no, gender specific. It was gender, okay. it was gender specific. Mm. And um, so once again, uh, it was one of those places where I wanted to uh, ask through through my phone, which is what I was listening to, you know, what, what are these roles that you were talking about? What do you, what do you think it is that the man is inherently supposed to do that the woman is inherently incapable of doing, or that she, that she will somehow screw up? I mean, if you let the woman do this, then everything's going to be screwed up. David, it seems to me that, oh, Sarah, I'm sorry. Go, uh, I was just going to say no. a quick, quick word. Lead. I think that was the only, the only thing I got out of the whole uh, what the men's role was. Well, lead. Uh, yeah, and I think that uh, David, as I as I recall, our, uh, uh, we we shared a time in the Church of Christ, even though not in the same congregations. And I think we used to teach the Garden of Eden story as if women were more easily deceived than men. Um, sure, so you've probably they're the heard weaker that. vessel. Sure. That's right. that's part of what it is to be a weaker vessel. Right. Now, here's why I think that's nonsense, and I just want to hand this off and, and see what the two of you say, but it, it seems to me that we read that story, you know, if we could read it as a, as a true story, which I don't think we can, but even if we could, it seems to me that we read the story the wrong way, because surely, uh, surely Eve being deceived by a serpent uh, that is someone in this case uh, who, who displays all the traits of deity, right? This is someone who can argue with God. Mm. So Eve is deceived by deity. Adam is deceived by a human. So which one is likely to be the more easily deceived? Adam, Adam is deceived by Eve. He's not deceived by the serpent. So I don't actually read that story that way. Eve wasn't easily deceived. Eve was in a battle of wits with a god. So I think we I think we read it all wrong. So uh, while you're building your outrage up again, Andrew, <laughs> talk talk a little bit about this binary aspect of male mm. and female. God made him uh, made them male and female, and that's it. <laughs> so uh, God, uh, if if God made males and females, He certainly. Uh, did a poor job of understanding his chemistry set because when Christians appear to appeal to uh, binary sex uh, or, or gender characteristics, they're appealing to uh, XX chromosomes, uh, which are which are all of uh, which would be all of the women, or or XY chromosomes, which would be all of the men. But that is not the total expression of of uh, uh, of genetic chromosome pairing. 
for human sexuality. We have XX, we have XY, we have XXY, we have XYY, we have XXYY, and there are possibly other more exotic pairings that I'm not uh, considering at the moment, but we do not have two genders. And to think so is, uh, is simply not true to the science that we have. And David, I think before we went on there, you said, look, sometimes we even have children that have uh, gross, anatom- uh, gross anatomical traits of both genders, so hermaphrodites. And Christians would gloss over the science, and they would gloss over hermaphrodites to repair this notion that their God created two genders. Well, if he did, he's the one that didn't understand humanity. There's a lot. I mean, I there's a lot. There's a lot of binary uh, treating of humanity in the whole of the Bible, isn't it? It is man, woman, uh, dark, night, uh, saved, unsaved. It's just that there's only ever two states: um, light, dark. There's no sunset. There's no sunrise. There's no gray. There's no. I mean, maybe you can find some of it in there, but um, it does seem to be a, a quite binary in the way it treats everything. I just, I don't think it reflects very well the the human condition at all. But, um, but anyway, I, I mean the whole Eden story. Yeah, I thought that got a, a massive. That was let. That was allowed to slide completely. And no problem. It popped up as a as a as a point. And I think Justin is is quite palpably <coughs> relaxed uh, amongst uh, friends. Uh, you can you can tell he's quite comfortable in that environment. Um, and so I think quite a lot of things like that were allowed to. Uh, some slammers were allowed to slide and. Uh, it, and what sounded very normal to them, all the language they were using, uh, kind of started, you know, making you be a bit triggered if you'd been in that environment and suddenly stepped out of it. Now you realise just how freaking weird it can sound. So um, there was some there was some fantastic little thing. Lots of, in, I mean, some of the Christianese, I'd love to just take a second there just to talk about some of the things that you know we, we don't we're not used to seeing that because often we have an atheist and a, a christian in the show and there it was two christians and they were talking in their language that makes total sense so you, you know it's not talents it's not and strengths it's not things you've worked at it's giftings it's mm-hmm. not um, celebrating uniqueness and differences reveling in god's glory and his way um it's not marriage is you know a union that god has created it's nothing to do with the fact it's a consensual um, contract between two adults with agency. Nothing to do with that. All to do with God creating a union. So, um, And then there's some classic ones like, there's no problematic uh, passages, just passages that cause us problems. Um, and again, those are all those little things that kind of add to the pile of why you're the problem and you're, you, the human, have messed it up and um, we're the issue. So um, I'm calling BS on that. I say, don't put up with this. Stop it, don't you? Not the problem. There are problematic uh, problematic passages. Um, you know, and it's just the and some of the other language, men are hungry for this kind of thing rather than just they want or desire, you know, just... Um, and he was very much into importing his worldview, you know, saying Natalie's importing her worldview into the church rather than the other way around of us exporting God out. Um, and, uh, yeah, so uh, then just a little subtle one, which I don't know if you picked up on, but uh, if you abuse your wife, that's why your prayers aren't answered. 1 Peter 3.17, he quoted. Um, and whilst, yes, I can I can sort of see the, the rationale behind that one where, 
um, you know, don't expect to to be a good, good guy and, and good in front of God if you're slapping your wife about being behind the scenes. But there was another one to throw on the pile of why your prayers aren't answered. Blame blame yourself, blame someone. Um, so I'm sure there's some poor Christian chap that thinks that his prayers aren't being answered because he once had an argument with his wife or something. You know, it's always there's all those little sort of things in there that were uh, easy to miss. And uh, it really well, it was really jarring when you've not been in that. Uh, swimming in that water for a while and you suddenly realize the the language they use and how they're framing everything and um god is good it's just our interpretation of the problem that's uh that's uh of scripture that's a problem so uh, there's so many things that let were let slide were, were left to slide that the misogynistic comments or um the deferring to the the man in the show didn't actually for me didn't I didn't feature it was more the more some of the language that they were using that made me uh, chuckle but I don't know if you picked up on any of that well the, so you mentioned the um uh, the 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 idea that uh, your prayers may not be answered if you're abusing your wife mm-hmm. and I'm thinking well, that's a pretty light punishment isn't it <laughs> so mm-hmm. you're true as well you're, you're an ab- but I you're a wife abuser the other way <laughs> and the most god has done to you is well I I'm not going to answer your prayer this time <laughs> I'm thinking if God is that active and you're actively abusing your wife, maybe God does something a little bit more severe. I'd like to point out that he's also not answering her prayer. No. Because I'm pretty sure she's not sitting around going, uh, thank you, sir, may I have another? <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> But it's just it's just another reason, you know, blame the human again that for the prayers not being answered and uh, it's just another one to, to, to hit people over the head with, even if they've not done anything wrong, I suppose that's what I'm getting at. I'm sure if you're beating your wife you probably deserve a good uh, a good few non-answered prayers, but as as you say, it's not a big punishment. But it's just another thing that you can. Well, maybe I spoke to my wife a little bit unkindly that day, and that's why it's I'm not getting answered to my prayers, and I've got to berate myself. And you're you know you're slapping yourself with the uh, with the whip to to kind of humble yourself over things that are just you, you just had an argument. And <laughs> the wife's prayer is not being answered because the husband is not in a good standing with God. Mm. So that's that. That is exactly how um, the church would have dealt with it from from uh, my uh, side of the church. They would have they would have simply said, "Look, the husband is the head of the house, and there are consequences to the husband doing wrong." And so, one of the consequences is that prayers from your house are not answered. Mm. I mean, there was uh, she. She didn't actually support this view, did she? But she said that. Uh, Two Christians that she had been talking to said that um, you will be, uh, you will take the consequences of, of your wife's sin, and that you know you're kind of the head of the household, the representative. So she, I mean, she did push back on that, which was just an awful concept. But I guess some people believe that as well. So Andrew's been trying to wrestle for the mic for a while. Um, Andrew, well, I was I was going to swap topics just for a second because you mentioned that you might not make it through the entire show. I still hope you do, but. There was something we were talking about off mic, and I wanted to mention it here before you, uh, before you have to go. If in fact you do have to, please please let it be purity culture. It's oh oh well, it gets us started there. Okay, that is exactly where we're going. (laughs) In fact, uh, I'm going to take us all the way to the heart of of purity culture, and then and then we can all express our outrage. So here we go. I've said in a past podcast, uh, Sarah, you and I were on together actually that. 
if God only created two genders, male and female, with those two genders, he actually created four ways to express human sexuality. Now, I was wrong. There are actually six ways with only two genders to express human sexuality, so I'll just go through them. Male, male, female, female, male, female, male self-gratification, female self-gratification, and the and simply not practicing human sexuality or to choose to be asexual. And so if you're the kind of person who says, oh, well, God did a great thing by creating two genders. Well, what you're actually saying is only in one of six cases in this God-ordained, God-created universe, is there, a white, is there a right way? One in six. There's a one in six way of practicing your human sexuality the right way. Mm-hmm. And I think... I think it's a silly notion. I think it is always worth pointing out that there are lots of ways for us to express our human sexuality. And I don't actually give a damn what the Bible says about it. Because if God did this, he did it wrong. He simply did it wrong. And set and, you up to fail. You can't, you can't, it's just, you know, you're not going to, as a teenager or whatever, you just, you're set up to fail. On this particular issue, whether it's be you know self uh, gratification or not, let's be honest, it's uh, you're just not going to make it. It's inhumane to expect people to do otherwise. If I can maybe push us closer to that transition, I I just had an observation about marriage that I know I'm going to forget later as we talk about it. But when when you're saving sex for marriage, one of the one of the problems with that is that you make sex too much uh, of what marriage is. Uh, it becomes too important. And marriage, a marriage can't sustain that because at some point you will cool down and it doesn't take all that long. So, Speak for yourself, sir. Yes, you will oh, cool sorry. down. <laughs> Way before you get to uh, Andrew and my age, I, I promise. So <laughs> that's going to happen. Again, speak for yourself, sir. <laughs> Myself well, and for all right. those we- it applies. Uh, <laughs> so if your marriage is based on that your marriage is going to fail. And the, the problem with marriages ending in divorce at about a 50% rate, that's true for Christians as well as non-Christians. It's not that Christians live in this special bubble where their marriages are more successful. They are not. And so you are really setting yourself up to turn sex into the main thing about your marriage. If you were saying, okay, I'm going to save my marriage, my sex for marriage. And so I, um, so as you can tell, I don't actually buy into any aspect of the purity uh, culture, and I, I actually think that it's probably a bad idea to try to wait for marriage before you have sex. So with that, <clears throat> I'm going to step away from the microphone and uh, go cough and die a little bit. <laughs> You're right. And uh, you Sarah, did you guys have... Oh, yeah, they, I think you were Hello, right. what question were you asking me? <laughs> oh, just, did you guys, did you guys have purity culture? That, that was going to ask. I, I, again, I don't think it's as bat shift mental as it is in the States with your rings and your kind of dancing with your dad type evenings that you have. We definitely had that. Oh, that's at, just um, creepy. It is creepy. creepy. It's totally creepy. Um, I mean, so we definitely had some 
uh, talk about it, but again, they don't really address the problem. And people are finding it harder to come out. They're hard, even on that show, they weren't really coming out strongly on you must save sex for marriage. That is the only way. They were, even Natalie was kind of wavering on it. She even talked about Christians that were okay with polyamory. I mean, again, mm-hmm. I didn't even know that was a, uh, even on the kind of uh, more progressive spectrum, whether that, that really was the case. So the UK has obviously changed quite a bit. Um, but uh, yeah, we definitely had sin. Your body's dangerous, the flesh, um, and your body is weak, it's sinful, it's broken, it's gross, it's evil. Uh, you fail yourself, and also, as you will be taking the lads down with you, it's your fault. Um, so we definitely got messages like that, which I think are really toxic and wrong. Uh, I think it's better to say you're amazing. <laughs> your body is what houses you. Treasure it, honour it, um, be glad of it, um, and all that it entails, which will include some sexuality as you grow older. So uh, it was very much, again, binary. Um, and then there's so many sicky things with it as well. Phil, Phil was saying, you know, treat women as sisters. Well, good luck bringing that into the bedroom. <laughs> That's not just creepy. Um, there's you know, there's a whole don't date unless you want to marry, which forces people into young marriages. Uh, oh, so bad. Divorce rate. I mean, I was very lucky. I got married at 23, but um, that could have, you know, that could be very detrimental. Really, I would certainly, if I had a daughter, not in, in, uh, encourage that. I think it's much better if you do live together and, and see your compatibility. Yep. And uh, there's lots of unhappy people. The whole kind of giving Jesus your virginity again. It's all just a bit oh. creepy. Uh, and there's the kind of two becoming one. I mean, yes, use it as poetry or, or whatever, but there's no magic that really happens. Biologically speaking, virginity isn't a thing you can't really measure it um at no point do you become one person with somebody else you're always two distinct people um it's not a thing um so you know and uh, there's so much so much thing about shame and um uh yeah and how you should feel if you have digressed and how you should feel guilty and you take away everybody's autonomy and agency and uh and you you're set up to fail by god because he gives you the ability to feel hungry let's say but not you're not allowed to eat so uh I just think it's, I think it's appalling. I really think it needs to stop. Definitely some talks about, you know, young people having sex and health and sex education and health and that sort of thing. That's fine. But this, this purity thing is, is, is actually toxic. And I'm happy to say how, how that happens in a, in a bit. But if you want to jump in, Andrew, and, and say, what are your feelings of the message? Were the messages different as lads? Were your messages kind of, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 sure. Um, just to just to take a second on one of the things you mentioned, it, it seems to me incoherent to say that it is possible for a young woman to be responsible for a guy's uh, uh, sexual impropriety, mm-hmm. and and yet to then turn around and say that at some point in the future when they're married, he can be uh, responsible for her sin in any way whatsoever in the sense that he's a head of the house or he somehow guides her or uh, she is more easily deceived and therefore he is uh, more intellectually culpable or anything like that. If she mm. has the capacity to influence his behavior, to somehow lead him into sin, mm. it seems incoherent to then say he's responsible for that at any, at you know, at some point in the future. Uh, uh, so I don't like the notion uh, to begin with, but yes, in the uh, in my part of the world, uh, the southeast United States, we certainly were raised uh, differently as young men. In fact, uh, in some sense, we prayed 
on the uh, girls who were most innocent. It's sort of a sort of how we did it. You know, uh, you you want to uh, you want to date the the girl who is uh, uh, who is the most innocent one in the pack. Right. Because there's this there's this notion that girls who were more experienced were somehow bad. Well, exactly, because your values defined by your virginity, the more powers you've had, the more damage you are, the less value you have. And that's just toxic and shaming and degrading. Um, And it doesn't even speak to the fact actually you've got more experience and in a healthy way, that could be a good thing. So, yeah. Uh, So it's not it wasn't to to kind of be predator against these these uh, innocent girls. And it was more just that they were prized as well for, for the boys, was it? Well, they were. And and anyone who thinks I'm wrong, if you if you think I'm wrong about uh, guys being raised differently than girls or that guys were are uh, uh, slightly more predatory uh, or that guys are uh, slightly hypersexualized, if you if you think I'm wrong, I simply want to know where the movement is for guys to wear purity rings. Mm. Yeah, there's if, definitely if a double wrong, standard. Mm. Right. If you think I'm wrong, if you think that male expression of sexuality in young people is uh, is equivalent to female expression of sexuality and that we train them both the same, show me the movement for guys wearing purity rings. So let me, mm. let me just uh, add that the, the entire idea of female purity is about creating a prize for a male. It's, it's so you stay pure yep. until marriage. It's not about making your experience better. It's it's about the male having a prize. And this is this is why in in Deuteronomy some of those strange laws about uh, uh, rape and such um, seem so funny to our ear. Because what's going on is a a man is bespoiling a woman. Um, it, it is yep. it is not about him doing something bad to the woman. It's about him bespoiling some other man's future prize possession. That's right. Mm-hmm. right. And uh, so that's 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 what's kind of so disgusting about this. The, the idea that the, the one where, where uh, a lot of non-Christians use where they say, well, so you know, if the, you, you rape the uh, maiden and uh, you know, she doesn't scream or what have you. The, the, the man has to pay the father of the one he raped the bride price and then marry her. And then he can't mm-hmm. divorce her. The, the, but from their perspective, that seemed like a pretty good thing because the woman was just the property. And now that she's been bespoiled, obviously no man's going to want her. And so this guy is stuck with her now. That's, mm-hmm. that's the, the thing that they were trying to say. This is the Bible on purity culture. And so if, if you find yourself thinking that, that purity and that sexual purity somehow makes sense, you need to think a little bit harder on where this comes from, the genesis of it. And you'll realize, no, this is, this is a pretty poison well right here. Um, mm-hmm. no, no ideas about female purity that come from the Bible are any good. Jettison it. And, you know, we can talk about whether it makes sense to stay. You know, by the way, I, I feel yucky calling it purity at all. 
mm. being sexual does not make you impure. There's nothing, there's, you know, it, the opposite of sexual purity is sexual impurity. Well, how do you become sexually impure? You have sex. Well, well I don't think so. Purity is the value you give to an object, not a person. It doesn't mm. apply to people. Mm. It's not a thing. It doesn't exist. We're trying to defend something that doesn't exist. It's something you, you yeah, is the value of an object, not not a person. So, Sarah, as you say, you, but you could... When you when you kind of read the Bible through modernist eyes, and they're always going on about marriage, etc. As you say, you could you could pay a fine after raping a person and take them as a wife. You could uh, marry more than one person. You could kill a combatant and marry their wife because it was better than enslaving. Mm. So yes, okay, there was some progression there in terms of giving people dignity and rights and things. Maybe it was better some of these uh, ideas, but we don't need to we we separated now by millennia of culture and time and we don't have to to view this thing in the same way so you don't need to view that in the same way and you don't need to view the purity culture in the same way and it's just it's out of step again now and it's it's not uh it's not healthy i mean everybody everything to do with repression and or you've had prohibition in the states haven't you with alcohol and that didn't exactly work out well so we we know it just comes out in unhealthy ways we look at the catholic church um it's not it's just not the way to go you need to uh, accept it embrace it and and work with it so natalie talked about the idea that um Guys were, I think she used the the, the phrase hypersexualized, and um, but that she thought that was uh, uh, she was defending the notion that girls are as equally interested in sex as uh, as boys are. Now, um, I'm I am uh, X Y as far as I know. I've never been a girl that much. I am well, uh, probably in the womb actually, since we all start off that way. But. Uh, <laughs> My my question is actually, uh, as young girls, uh, are girls as interested in exploring the bounds of sex as boys are? Why shouldn't they be? Absolutely. I, I mean, sure. it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's no, it's it's just painted as being different in the UK, uh, in the uh, uh, as between the sexes, isn't it? It's um, yeah. Boys, that's all they think about. But uh, well, the only thing that's relevant uh, to Christians is a woman it can only be in touch with her sexuality once she is a married woman, basically having kids, and that's it. So because I never jived with that anyway, I was always like, I'm not having kids. They're too much work. Sorry, Andrew, I know you've got one on the way, but I was just like, I've voiced up to this. I know how much work and cost they are. It's of no interest to me. Um, so, you know, I never kind of... Uh, I always push back against that anyway. So, uh, again, it didn't bother me too much. But it's definitely a message you get. It's definitely a message that's, that's out there. And how does that work that, that on your um, – I'm sorry, Nick. How does that work that on your wedding night you're then all of a sudden – Yeah, you know, exactly. All, all of a sudden, at the moment of truth, you're now uh, an interested, knowledgeable, active, willing, educated participant. But that's why there's so many women who talk about the trauma of it. And that's the thing you don't hear in the church, that the people who come out of it at the other end, sometimes deconverting or just generally uh, Christian women who do wait for the wedding night. There's too much pressure. There's too much stock given to it. And then they wonder why it's a big failure and they're rubbish at it or whatever. You know, it's just, um, yeah, you're just supposed to turn it on, on like that well, because you've signed a piece of paper. It's lunacy. So before before we head to the conclusion. I, I want to uh, touch on one other aspect of this program that I don't think uh, was talked about really in the, um, 
in the Unbelievable episode, and I think it's important that we address it. So uh, the title of the program had the Me Too movement in it, and they talked a little bit about the Church Too movement. So I don't, I don't really want to talk about the Me Too movement so much. We know what that is. But I do want to acknowledge that the church has as much problem with with men uh, raping and or molesting women as outside of the church. This is not this is not uh, something that once again is uh, the church is immune to. And so, what what is the problem here with the church? I would think that it it may be even more problematic uh, when it's the church. Uh, because the church has this this protected status of this is something ordained by God, and ministers have this protected status that they are chosen by and ordained by God, uh, not just uh, not just humans, and so they have, have even more power. And then when you add to this power dynamic. Uh, the idea that women are not allowed to attain ultimate leadership in uh, so many churches. And so, you know, even if women are allowed to preach, it's just at a church where they don't think that preaching is a particularly leadership role. The, the, the uh, places where it is leadership uh, then tend to be something else, like elders or, or such. And so it, it seems almost as if the church is set up for abuse, and no amount of spiritual solutions, quote-unquote, is going to fix the fact that it is a power dynamic that is designed uh, to put men in such a position where women have to submit to them. And that is, that is just a recipe for abuse. Is there, a, is there an actual solution for this? Are you talking about like a secular solution to generally sexuality or the the problems with the church because the problems the problems with the church in particular because uh, honestly if there's one place where you should expect it not to happen you know if you take the mm. spiritual uh, look at it it should be the church the church <laughs> you know there should be no abuse in the church <laughs> but of course there is abuse and i i argue once again it's probably worse when it's the church uh than other places because uh, because of that power dynamic i think it's so much more out of whack than in other places. Well, when you're in church, there's an expectation that you are safe. Just adding to your point. Right, right. There's an expectation that you're safe. You know, parents uh, throw their kids in a daycare, you know, full of people they don't know anything about. Um, new couples go in and, you know, put their put their marriage problems in front of a preacher who doesn't have any credentials. Women end up in closed-door sessions. Um you know, where they can be easily manipulated. Um, and, and these things happen, once again, at, at the same rate as it does outside of the church, if, if not more. So once again, uh, is, there, is there a way that we can maybe start addressing actual solutions um, uh, or possible yes. solutions? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it doesn't begin in church. It, no. uh, it begins at home. Um, I've got two stepchildren as, as well as uh, another child on the way. And I'll, I'll simply say that one of the ways to keep your children safe is to educate them about their, uh, about their own bodies. They don't have private parts. They have a, a penis or they have a vagina. 
they have breasts. They have they have anatomical parts that they are free to talk about. And by giving children the freedom to talk about themselves and to express themselves about abuse, you give them the ability to perhaps not stop the abuse, but to reduce it by being able to talk about it more openly than they can when you make sex a taboo word or when you make their body parts unexpressible. Now, this is not me talking. Uh, this is this is the American Psychological Association. This is the APA. Part of stopping abuse is allowing survivors to talk about it in clear terms. Okay, um, mm-hmm. I think that's a. I think that's a good beginning, um, a, a good practical beginning for. Um, Everyone, everywhere. I, I'm going to actually. I'm, I was. I was paused for a little bit. I was trying to decide whether I was going to go here or not. Uh, so, Andrew, you're a member of the conversation that we had um, either yesterday or Friday. I don't remember which it was about this. I'm going to propose one of those solutions. Um, I think the church should be regulated. I think it should be regulated heavily. I think that um, all preachers have to have some type of secular state licensing. Um, not not a religious license per se, but a secular license that uh, uh, that says, okay, you're you're okay with kids, and you are not going to give terrible advice uh, to people uh, who are vulnerable, mm. and um, they should be licensed and bonded uh, in, in case something does. Uh, happen uh, in all of this, not because it's the church and I hate the church, is because they are people who are placed in positions of authority over vulnerable people in our society, well, and and it is one of the only institutions of its kind <coughs> that. Um, <coughs> so I'll let you finish my thought, <laughs> Sarah. What do you think? I I spoke up about yeah, part of a solution. I think it's quite an interesting thing about regulating it. I know when I was at church and I helped with the kids and stuff, I had to get a criminal record check and a few things. So they they do do a few bits. And there was quite uh, within Vineyard, which was the um, branch I was, um, the John Wimber movement thing, uh, we weren't allowed to take a kid to the toilet without another adult. We weren't allowed to be alone with a kid in a room without, well, I mean, at the time I thought it was a little bit sad, but maybe in today's society that's what's needed. Um, Ultimately, I think... um, uh, I think we have to keep talking about purity, this purity culture as a religious sexual repression and repression is never ever good um, and I think uh, the Christians don't have practical solutions, they they don't like saying it but essentially they say no sex before marriage but they've got no idea what to do with gays or teenagers having sex or frustrated single 20 year olds or people who aren't married or you know nothing, baby Jesus isn't the answer Jesus and Paul weren't married, there's no model to follow, there's nothing that they can say um and we heard phil on a couple of occasions just saying his solution was you know admit you're weak and sinful and you're dependent on god well i'm sorry that's a really kind of unempowering posture to take i think you should 
take control, take your responsibilities, put your big boy pants on and, and you know, start start dealing with your life. Um, I mean, he kept bringing it back to Jesus and the church and spiritualizing the problem. So I think that's one thing we can, they should stop doing. It's not a spiritual problem. It's just part of being human. Um, every time, you know, Natalie's story, even her bad man was because he didn't have good Christian instruction. Um, and the good man that she married was because he had read the scripture. That's what Paul Phil says. And whilst you've got people kind of giving that as an idea as a solution there's going to be problems this is purity isn't the problem um no, sorry the purity he was saying purity isn't the problem we are and if we keep if they keep um framing the human the human condition as toxic and evil and sinful and the body as flesh and uh then then this then you're going to have constantly issues i think the solution are secular ones you know children should be taught uh what a stable committed relationship looks like how to honor themselves keep themselves safe how to engage in in relationships in a mindful way not to be ashamed of their bodies and their desires learn what they like what they don't like explore it kick out the shame um and push back on things that uh, tell you that you know it's not human or, or natural um so that's really my my feeling i think you need to live integrated lives where your your body mind and uh, your the part of your sexuality is all communicating and i don't think christianity goes anywhere close to that i think it represses it and it's toxic there you go and i managed to say all that without being completely triggered <laughs> oh you've done better than i have I- we are all uh, we're all over the age of consent, and uh, I, I dare say we've all consented uh, a time or two by now. Here's one of the things that I find shocking about using the New Testament as as some sort of guide for human sexuality. It doesn't teach us anything about human sexuality. Yeah. Now, it does talk about not having sex, but let me just ask uh, among friends here. Can either of you name a single thing that you learned about adult sexual relationships from the Bible? Nothing. No. Literally nothing. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely nothing. Okay, I can't either. And if there is a sillier thing in the world to do than to appeal to the Bible as a human sexual guide, when, when the three of us who are uh, former Christians, uh, with, with a broad range of Christian experience, right? I mean, we're, we're, we're sort of multinational here, and none of us could come up with a single thing. If I could leave our listeners with one idea, and I wouldn't leave them with just one, but if I could leave them with one, it is that the Bible is not a sexual guide. You can't learn anything about sex mm-hmm. from the Bible. And to take its notions of purity seriously when it has absolutely nothing to teach us about adult sexual relationships is absolutely intolerable. Put it on the scrap heap of history and walk away. So, Sarah, I'm going to leave you with the last word. And before um, I do that, I'll just give my last word on, uh, on the matter. Sex is not wrong. Sex does not make you unpure. There is no context in which sex between consenting adults is wrong. And uh, so the the guilt uh, that's associated with it 
that has to go. And the shame uh, associated with it uh, has to go. And the, the pressure on marriages, um, you know, it, it was just recently, not that long ago in, in historical terms, that the United States of America recognized in all 50 states uh, a thing called marital rape. Before that time, it was okay for a husband to rape their wife because it wasn't rape. Yep. Um, and so that's, that's, that's a nonsense uh, uh, idea. These, these are ideas all that come from religion, uh, that your body is not your own. Uh, no, your body is your own. It, it's your, it, it actually is your own. <laughs> it doesn't matter um, if you're married. And that having sex before wedlock somehow a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. Uh, you know, your re- repressed parents might think it's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It doesn't make you a bad person. Uh, finally, when it comes to churches, uh, do not put yourself under the authority of sexually repressed men. Just don't. And if there's some some type of culture or religion or doctrine in your church that keeps leaders from having uh, normal sexual relations, you should run, not walk away from that church. I'll amen that. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if if that's your, your bit, I think you said it all really. I just, uh, if anybody's listening that associates sex with shame, that it should be something that's celebrated, as you say, obviously with a caveat of consenting adults, but, um, you know, take back agency and autonomy, and don't don't take any advice from uh, a book that's is now out, really, really out of date on this issue. Uh, and that's really all that I've got to say. Yeah. I mean, everything in the Bible about sex. Just remember, folks, it comes based on a woman listening to the advice of a talking snake, and then eating fruit, and everything that your preacher or Christian parents have told you about sex flows from that idea. If you think that idea is batshit crazy as I do, you should ignore pretty much everything that comes from those sources. True that. Loud cheers. So with that, uh, with that said, uh, thank you, uh, Andrew and Sarah for joining, uh, joining us this time. And, um, There'll be more shows in the future. <laughs> One day we will well, actually have an official website and official launch. But right now, folks, if, if you got this program, however you got it, thanks for being uh, tenacious enough to, to find it. I hope you enjoyed it. Well done for soldiering through as well. Thank you, Bob. Okay, bye. <laughs>